in the grind of it, it's just, it's paying attention to them and getting a feel for what they need and how they're responding. And when I see that they're starting to go in the wrong direction, it's bringing them back to reality. Hello, and welcome back to the Mental Sweet Spot podcast. Today's guest is one of our sport's top coaches, known for her attention to detail, focus on the fundamentals, and willingness to share her expertise with other coaches. She's been invited to speak at the NFCA convention, NFCC courses, podcasts, and the Be The Best Coaches convention, among many other events. She formerly coached a team on the tiny Long Island to national acclaim at Hofstra University before being headhunted for her new position. Today we discuss her team's goals for the season, getting the team past potential obstacles, a drill to imitate game day pressure, communicating to build a new culture, and taking care of yourself so we show up as our best. We also have a coaching challenge for you today. Run the perfect 21 drill without actually coaching. (laughs) More about that later. But first, let's tell you about our new quiz. Softball coaches are getting better and better at coaching the mental game, especially now that we see the impact it has on our players both on and off the field. The challenge is most coaches are trying to piece it together themselves and do it all on their own. After a while, these passionate, dedicated coaches begin to get frustrated and burn out because they're putting so much work in and not seeing the growth they were hoping for. We've figured out the remedy to this situation. We've created a system based on sports psychology, coaching leadership, and other trainings that helps coaches implement the mental game more without getting burned out in a way that players buy into and grow leaps and bounds from. Are you ready to level up your mental training program in order to improve both your players and your own softball experience? Find out at mentalsweetspot.com forward slash level up. Please welcome Coach Larissa Anderson. Coach, thank you for joining us. I'm glad to be here. Yes, Coach, thank you so much for your time today. We greatly appreciate it. Um, we're going to get right to it. So our first question for you today is, what big goals do you and your team have for the season? You know, we're, we've, we focus on what we can control and what we can do. And really, it's been making sure that we stay fundamentally perfect. And we don't focus, we don't talk about who we're playing and where we're going and what our opponent's going to be doing. It's more about Mizzou softball right now and making sure that we take care of ourselves and we pay attention to all the little things and, and our defensive fundamentals and making sure that we're fundamentally perfect and that we play the game the right way. So those are really what we're establishing as our goals. We're not setting out to say, you know, we're going to win the SEC championship and we're going to the College World Series, which obviously is what everybody wants to do. It's more focusing about us and what we can control because we can't control anybody else. Oh, I love that. Especially in a conference like the SEC, you can't plan for anything. Everyone's strong. <laughs> no, you can. And every single game you play is like you're playing a game in the College World Series. And, and you have no control over that. And that's just the way it is. What we can do and the effort that we put in and, and how disciplined and how structured we are. And really, that's what we go out every single day. And, and we try to, we get better every single day, but we want to focus on making sure that we can control the controllables. And that's what we're doing. I love that. Your theme for the season, if uh, anyone doesn't follow you on Twitter, should, um, is all in. Yes? It is. And, and it's really establishing what that means and taking responsibility for what they do every day and, and their actions on and off the field. and and what it truly means to be all in. And you could say you're all in in a practice and you do everything that the coach says, but outside of the practice and, and in the locker room and, and in your everyday life, if you're not truly all in, you're not going to get 100% out of yourself. So it's constantly sending that message to them and, and getting them to feel 
and understand what it means and what it means to represent a program and, and yourself and your university and how you carry yourself the right way and, and you have a lot of respect for the game and what you're doing. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I really love hearing about that because that, you're really talking about your culture, right? So you've been there not for a very long period of time. So how did you walk into your new program and establish that culture right away? It's, you know, I've, I've followed Mizzou and we played Mizzou when I was at Hofstra, we played Mizzou in 2013 in regionals. Um, so I know the I know the history of the program and how successful they've been. And, and I also know that they've had a lot of turmoil in the last three years and, you know, the entire campus did. So it's, really getting back to foundation on why teams are successful and they're successful because the effort that they put in and they are, they have a, they have an identity and Mizzou softball didn't have an identity and it was a little inconsistent and it was just getting back to understanding who they are and what they represent and making sure that we do things the right way and not having a double standard. And I think what happens with a lot of successful teams is you'll have individual players that do very, very well. And coaches are always put in these, in these compromising situations and they have to make decisions and how they're going to treat someone who might be in the start of the lineup and might do something that doesn't follow your ethics or your standards. And, and when you make that decision, and I learned this a long time ago from Bill Edwards, when if you make that decision and it's not in the team's best interest, it impacts your team for over four years. And sometimes six, because those stories, as you know, trickle down and, and <laughs> mm-hmm. the, the freshman's going to remember how you reacted. And when they're seniors, they're going to be telling those freshmen. So sometimes you're looking at six, seven years that it impacts your program. So it's making sure that my coaching staff and myself, we hold our team accountable and we don't have a double standard. And that everyone has to follow the same rules and the same, the same work ethic and the same drive. And it doesn't really matter what your batting average was or if you're the starting pitcher, this is the way we're going to do things. Oh, I love that. I think that's the piece that a lot of coaches miss, not intentionally, but mm-hmm. realizing that it has to be all the time, everything you do, everyone involved to really build that culture that is sustainable and actually makes a difference. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, when I started becoming the head coach at Hofstra, I would quiz my staff all the time and I would say, OK, hypothetically speaking, what if this player did this? How are you going to react mm. to get them to start thinking about, you know, decisions that you're going to have to make as a head coach and the nature of athletics and especially division one softball. And, and especially in the sec, there's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of pressure to win. And there's a lot of money that's now being invested in our game and contracts are at stake and athletic directors really expect a lot out of these coaches. And sometimes they have to make those decisions that might not be in their best interest or the team's best interest, but they might not have a job if they don't. Um, So it's, you know, it's twofold. Sometimes it is an ethical thing and sometimes it might just be a a career choice and a contractual thing that if they don't play their best player, they don't win. And then if they don't win, they don't have a job. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's like a domino effect that it's not always the coach's fault. It could be the university or or the pressure that's being put on that coach. Mm Mm-hmm. Coach, what obstacles do you see maybe getting in in the team's way this year for setting those process goals and working through those cultural things you talked about? Well, an obstacle that we're having right now is the weather. So we we have no control over that. So, I mean, it is what it is, and we're going to make the best of it. And, you know, right now we have about a foot of snow on the ground, which isn't very common for uh, Columbia, Missouri. So, you know, we're we're making do with what that – 
we brought the team back two weeks early and we were doing, we've done pretty much four days where we had a morning practice. They had a, a great lift with our strength coach. They would have lunch. They had an afternoon session of yoga and then they had another afternoon session of practice. So it's something that this program has never experienced. And we got a lot of work done, but I think what was the most impressive thing is how focused they stayed throughout the entire day, that you, there wasn't a lot of complaining, that they came out, they worked hard every single, every single session, um, and they didn't lose focus. And that's really the, the biggest thing is that they stayed, they had attention to detail, they knew what the expectations are, um, but, you know, we're going to have those obstacles. And I constantly will hit home with them on, you're, you're tired, you've practiced eight days in a row having, you know, double sessions. And this is how you're going to feel when it comes down the stretch. And this is what you're going to feel like in the late April and, and early May going into playoffs. And then you add school on top of it that you're going to be just mentally shot. So how are you going to grind through? Are you going to give in to that fatigue, that mental and physical fatigue? Or, or are you going to be stronger than your opponent? Because when you lose games in the fifth, sixth, and seventh inning, it's more mental than anything because mm -hmm. you're giving in and you're not making those adjustments. So it's putting them in those situations now and expecting more out of them so that they're more prepared down the road. That is awesome. And something, again, a lot of coaches could learn from because I think in the beginning we're all excited and we want practices to be fun and motivating, but you need to make them hard also because if you have this wonderful month of we had two weeks when school wasn't in session and then school started, got a little harder and then boom, a season starts and they don't know how to handle it. You haven't set them up for anything. Exactly. And you, you have to try to create, and our game is so unique. You have to create as much game situations and game pressure and practice because nothing, nothing can duplicate our game mm -hmm. um, because one ball is being hit to one person and you can't orchestrate where that ball is going to go. So you have to try to create that in practice to put as much pressure on them so they can make those those game time decisions with the game on the line in front of 5,000 people and, you know, 20,000 people if you're at the College World Series. So it's creating that and demanding it from them and not letting them settle for just being average and just getting by. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I love that because I try to duplicate that as well in my practices. So. Could you give me maybe some other listeners some tips of exactly some of the things you do in practice? Maybe an example of a drill where you're constantly putting them under pressure. Uh, a great drill is we call perfect 21. So it's 21 consecutive outs. Um, I'm the all-time hitter, so I'm 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 able to control the results that I'm trying mm -hmm. to create and who mm -hmm. I want to hit it to. So I know who might not be able to handle that pressure, and depending on where we are in the season and if I want them to feel really really good about themselves, or I want to create a situation that they know that they're going to fail. So I see how they respond. So they have to do 21 consecutive outs in a row. They have to be fundamentally perfect. So I'm not focusing on the results. It's, it's how they're executing it. Um, all throws have to be backed up. So even if the play is not executed or say the play is executed the right way and, and it, the result is good, if someone wasn't in their backup responsibility and just spectating, then we go back to zero. And we have to make sure we're doing 21 perfect plays in a row. And you can see the first few times you start to do this, when they get around 18, 19, you can feel that they're tightened down. And now they're just focused on getting to the end rather than focusing on that one play. And it doesn't matter if it's the first play of the game or the last play of the game. In our sport, the game is always on the line. And if that pitcher does not focus on that first pitch he throws, it's getting hit out of the ballpark. 
So it doesn't matter if it's out number one or out number 21, every Mm. play, every individual play matters. So it's just getting them to understand that and, and buy into it. And then the more you do it, the less pressure they feel. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh God, we did that drill all the time when I played. So it's bringing back memories like, oh, it was so tough. <laughs> right, exactly. And you can see that they start to tighten down and, and the energy shifts and the pressure changes. And then I know exactly who I can hit it to that can't handle that pressure. <laughs> yep, they feel it. They squeeze the ball, they bounce it in and we go right back to zero. But then it's how the team responds once they go back to zero. Right, right. And mm-hmm. you'll see that sometimes the shoulders start to slump down and and they feel down in the dumps because they thought they were done in pra- done with practice. Well, that's exactly what happens in a game. A pitcher gives up a home run or you commit an error with a, with a runner in scoring position. And then all of a sudden, three, four or five runs go on the board because they couldn't respond to that. Mm-hmm. How do you lead them through that? So say it's a kid that you knew, OK, I'm hitting it to you. And mm-hmm. just like you predicted, she boots it. The whole team can feel the energy shift. Do you help them all work through that? Do you let them sit with it? What's your uh, mode for helping them deal with it? It really depends on where we are in the season. So Mm -hmm. the first time it happens, I just let them go. And I want to see how they react. And do we have any leaders that are going to take charge and and kind of bring everybody in and rally the troops? So I just sit back and I watch. And because then I get a feel for what is the true leadership and the character within our team. And then usually, more often than not, someone boots another ball and they go back to zero again because they've lost focus and now they're just focusing on the result rather than the effort that they're putting into it. So that's when I start to bring it to their attention on, okay, who's going to stop the bleeding here? Are you just guys going to just going to be on your own little islands and not know what to say and not rally the team and not encourage one another? Or are you going to bring everyone together and regroup and refocus? So. It really, it goes throughout the entire season on how I'm going to handle it and how mad I'm going to get or how educational I'm going to get to be able to help them through that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. I brought, I brought two people with me that coached with me at Hofstra. Uh, Sarah Michalowski is my assistant. She was our, she played for me at Hofstra. She was a conference player of the year and coached with me the last two years. And then Michaela Transu. Um, played for me for five years at Hofstra, was our starting shortstop, and she's one of our grad assistants right now. So they know the standard that I'm expecting mm. out of them. And then early on in the year at Mizzou in the fall, that we would do uh, perfect 21 or put them in pressure situations, and I'm just sitting back just watching. And both of them would come up to me, and they're like, how are you not flipping out right now? <laughs> I'm like, I can't. Like, I have to get a feel for how they naturally can do things without me telling them how they should be doing things because then I can get a feel for them as people. And then from there, then I can educate them and get them in the right direction. That's awesome. I, I really like how you kind of just observed in the beginning, just to give, to let them show you too, kind of what they can do and, and not just jumping right in. Cause I think sometimes as a coach, that's our natural tendency to always just, I find myself doing that too, always wanting to jump in and, and say something or help them or coach them when sometimes it's better just to let them go. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, the Mizzou teams have not been, the past three years, they have not been as successful as they've used to been. But Mm. they still won. And Mm -hmm. even if you look at last year with everything that happened within the program and a coaching change mid-year, and I mean, that's really tough to handle. And they still won. And they still finished above 500. They still went to the NCAAs. Mm -hmm. So there's good things that are going on. 
So I needed to sit back and see what those good things are. So then I'm able to build on top of that where I can't come in and completely change a program. Um, I got to figure out why they were successful and then sit back and, and I know why they weren't, but why were they? And why did they do some, some good things throughout the course of the season and in the, in the past of the history, which is why I, I brought Emily Crane, who is a, our volunteer assistant, who's an All-American at Mizzou. I got her on staff because I wanted to know why they won when they did. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like communication is an absolute critical piece to not only your coaching, but when, especially when you first came into to this program. It is because, I mean, every school is going to be completely different. And I can't do, I could do some of the same things I did at Hofstra, mm-hmm. but it's not Hofstra. And it's, it's Mizzou and it's the Columbia, Missouri, and it's the SEC. So mm. I needed to pick the brains of the people that have been there that have won. And you have players like Chelsea Thomas, who just was inducted into our Hall of Fame, who's an All-American, and Emily Crane, and so on and so forth, to, to get a feel for what the culture was like when they did win. And to bring some of that back and also add my own twist to it in, in understanding what the players need to do and then the next standard of I'm going to hold them to. So what kind of strategies do you use to keep those lines open with your, of communication with your players then? I'm, I'm constantly asking them, like we just had a, we had a great inner squad scrimmage last night. Um, I want to hear from them first and I want them to feel comfortable in telling me what their evaluation is rather than me constantly being the only one talking. So I, before I even say a word, I'll just say, evaluate today, evaluate practice. What did you see? And what I really like about this team is that, They'll tell me the positives first. It's not the type of atmosphere that they're they're ripping on each other and, and really pointing out the negatives. They're pointing out a lot of good things. So it's great to be able to sit back and, and they're giving me some things that I'm not even thinking of. So I know that they're starting to feel really good about what they're doing. And then I have to bring home on, okay, give me some things we need to work on. Um, so it's great that they're able to hear it from from their peers and the evaluation is coming from them rather than always from me. So it's getting them to feel that they're, they're comfortable and I'm comfortable with them giving the feedback that I need to hear. I think players are really honest too. When you ask them, when they feel vested, it's their program and, and, you know, they're there too. And I think when, as a coach, when you ask them for that feedback and they'll, they'll be honest with you, it helped me grow as a coach as well. Just really listening and taking the time to do that. Exactly. And that I'm not, I'm not diminishing their opinion, that I'm respecting their opinion and it's not, well, whatever I say goes, it's I'm Mm -hmm. taking into consideration how they feel, what they think, their evaluation. Um, You know, in years past, and I don't think the Mizzou team's up to this point right now, um, but in years past, I've had players and, and leaders come in and say, coach, we need a day off or coach, we need this. And, and being able to respect that because I respect their opinion. Absolutely. Uh, one of our one of our good friends always says this. What's the difference between the right answer and the real answer? You know, and as a coach, you want the real answer. And sometimes I think they feel like they have to give you the right answer. Right. Yeah. And, and I'll say, don't yes me to death and don't tell me what you think I want to hear. <laughs> right. Tell me how you're feeling and tell me tell me the honest truth, because then I can help you. Mm-hmm. Right. So what are some of the strategies that you use for not only you and your coaching staff, but your players to kind of midseason, you know, when when the grind is really in you're in the middle of that grind and, and you know, just step back and take a fresh look at the season and get some perspective on on what's going on. You know, like you said before, communication is huge and communication not only with me, but the other members of my staff. And I know that players are going to respond differently to different coaches. 
and it's it's getting in a feel for every individual where there might be players on my team that respond great to coach Sarah or coach Chris and so on and so forth. So I'll go to those people and I'll say, Hey, go talk to so-and-so about this. Um, because I know that they're going to get a very, very honest response and they might just, might just hear it a little bit better. Um, and then I'll continue to hit home that same message. Um, but in the grind of it, it's just, it's paying attention to them and getting a feel for what they need and how they're responding. And when I see that they're starting to go in the wrong direction, it's bringing them back to reality and getting them to stay focused. And I think the first thing that I said to you guys is that with goals, I'm just looking at us and I don't want them to get caught up in who we're playing and where we're playing because then they change the, the mental preparation and the focus to that, that game. I want them to be consistent the whole way through. And it doesn't matter if we're playing a midweek game here or we're going to be playing, you know, in regionals or sec championship, you have the same mental preparation. If we focus just on us, then that we, we know what we can control and we have no control over the results. So it's constantly, it's hitting that message home so that they understand what their expectations are and bringing them back down to reality. I could see it in the fall um, when they would have different mental approaches to different events and different mm -hmm. games that we were playing. And I would give them say a, re a reward. So I would say, okay, if you play with great energy today, and attention to detail, we do all those little things, you'll have an off day tomorrow. And then all of a sudden, the level of focus changed. <laughs> Magic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm like, I got to treat them like they're toddlers and have rewards and, yes. and consequences for them. But I knew what I was doing. And so at the end of the game, I mean, their energy was amazing. And I'm like, first of all, you guys just screwed up. Because, yeah, you're going to get your off day tomorrow. But now you just set a new sta new standard mm -hmm. for Mr. Softball. <laughs> exactly. So this is what I'm going to expect every single day. So shame on you. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, and they laughed. And then it was kind of a wake-up call to get them to realize, like, right. wow, coach just totally tricked us. Totally. And <laughs> we get our off day. But, um, yeah, we just played awesome. I think my players are motivated most by first uh, time off and then second by food. So oh, definitely food. <laughs> yeah. And gear. Like oh, yeah. you say the winner of this team's gonna get new batting gloves, and then it's like oh. all of a sudden, yeah, new, new batting gloves. <laughs> right, exactly. I have a question on that one. So for you, your experience of this, I guarantee you are really good at keeping a pulse on the team and noticing when they're starting to drift. What would you say to other coaches, some tips for keeping that same pulse on yourself so that you, we don't get lost in the outcomes and the uncontrollables. And it's so true. And, and, you know, people will say you have to have balance and I definitely don't have balance. I mean, my, my whole <laughs> life and my whole career is softball, but I have to know when I need some me time mm. and it's, there's not, it's not 50, 50 balance is different for everybody. And balance might be 90-10, and that's a good balance for me. But I do know that I do need some, some me time, and I love to go sit in the nail salon and get my nails done, and someone give me a foot massage, and I, I throw in my earphones, and I listen to podcasts or music, and that's my a way where I'm able to separate myself and not just be sitting at my desk practice planning and, and evaluating. Um, you know, in the off season, I just love just being able to relax and maybe I, I sit by a pool and I read a little bit, but it might be just 10% of my life. 
but that's okay for me. And maybe the older I get, the more the percentages might change, but you know, I'm young and I don't think, and I, I visited a school one time and everyone was talking about, well, what's your balance? And I'm like, I'm 34 years old. I'm not 34 right now, but I'm 30 (laughs) at the time. I'm 34 years old. I'm like, I don't, I don't want balance. I want to be fully invested in my career and we don't have any kids. So it's really, we put everything we can into our careers. Um, But at the same time, you have to be able to sit back and do do something that you truly enjoy because you don't want to have burnout. And for me, it might just be getting my nails done. And that's what I'm able to do. And I'm able to relax and it makes me feel good. Totally feel you there. <laughs> yeah, we're both coaches and, and coached. Uh, Mel's coached in college, and I'm a high school coach. So even even with our schedules, we totally totally understand that. Because when I when it's my season, I'm all in, and you know my husband has to take care of the things with the kid, and you know that's just the way it is. But I feel right. I feel good that way. You know what you need, and and you know every coach should know what they need. And yep. if you're not being able to do what you feel comfortable doing you're going to feel bad about it or you're going to feel guilty. And if I was to go on vacation right now, like right now, right smack in the middle of my preseason, go on vacation right now because I felt like I had to, I would feel guilty about not being with my team. Mm -hmm. And then I'm not, I'm not all in and I'm not, I'm not able to go to sleep at night, but if it's going to be, you know, the end of May, early June, or maybe sometime around Thanksgiving, Christmas that I can do that, then that's something that I need to do. So we have one last question for you with all of what you just said, who do you go to for support? Cause sometimes you may need it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, my, my number one phone, a friend is my former head coach, Bill Edwards. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a, he's a hall of famer. He's an NFCA hall of famer. He's a Hofstra hall of famer coach for gazillion years, even though he's not that old, <laughs> um, but he's my, he's my number one. And I've learned so much from him and he taught me so much and, and really prepared me for this moment. And, you know, I, I have a great story. When I took over for him at Hofstra, um, and everything that he did was mentoring me for that moment to take over for him. And my first game as a head coach was played at LSU. And I walked to the third base box, and I said to myself, I was born for this. And it that. was all mm. the preparation that he did to prepare me for that moment get that feeling and and I reached out to him and I said you know what thank you you got me this opportunity because you prepared me for this moment thing that I'm going to handle here um so he's my number one and then my my really really close circle is really all a lot of Hofstra people they all came through the Hofstra family and it's Mm. really that Hofstra Mm. family that is so different and it's funny because we say we're like we're like a little cult because we have <laughs> we have their demands and standards and work ethics and and we get it i mean Hofstra was a blue collar mentality and recruiting northeast mid-atlantic kids and and coaching them up to play at the highest level so we get a lot of the similar things that maybe people outside of our circle don't quite understand that's really my my tight circle and i don't reach out to a lot of people but i go to the people that i know i can trust mm-hmm. oh that's so awesome all right, final, final question, then we'll let you go. Okay. Um, what tips would you have for other coaches to create their own cults of sorts or inner circle, even over time? To, to be able to, for one, don't be shy to reach out to people. And we'll let people into our little Hofstra circle when we understand that they have the same morals, values, ethics, 
and, and drive that. It's really about the lifetime lessons that you're trying to teach. And when people have those similar standards, you don't go out just because someone won because you don't until you know why they're winning and what they really stand for. So it's picking people's brains, <clears throat> reaching out, calling them, watch practice, you know, don't be shy. And to, to, to kind of watch education as you can, to be able to figure out who do you really want in your circle. <clears throat> and it's okay if you only have a couple people in your circle, you don't have to have 15, 20 people. Um, you know, it's like with your friends. It's really about the people that you know you can trust. <laughs> we all know with uh, Bill Edwards and Courtney Oliver and Kate Stake and Adrian Clark, we know we're going to get the honest truth. That I can call up Bill and tell them what, what's going on with me. And I know I'm going to get an honest response. And if they tell me I'm crazy and I'm going overboard, then that's really what I need to hear that I got to keep things in perspective. Absolutely. It's not just the, the support who's going to cheer you on 100% of the time. It's also kind of that reality check sometimes. Exactly. And, and it's understanding the why and why they're doing things and why do you want them in your circle? It's not mm -hmm. just because they have a thousand wins that they're making to get them to that opportunity. Yeah, yeah. totally agree. Well, That's thank awesome. you so cool. much, Coach, for spending your time with us. And, My pleasure. Uh, it's been great. Oh, awesome. We'll have a great rest of your day. Um, yeah. We'll do some sun dances to get some sunshine to melt your field for you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we need it. Thank you so much, Coach. We really appreciate your time today. Good luck this season. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Take thank care. you. Have yep. a good one. Bye-bye. And that is it for today's episode. Don't forget to take your coaching challenge for this week. Run the perfect 21 drill without coaching. This may be one of the hardest challenges yet because, let's face it, my coaches have a hard time sitting back when things are going wrong. Run the perfect 21 drill that Coach Anderson just described, but you're not allowed to provide any feedback or coaching when things go wrong. You're only allowed to ask questions or answer anything your players ask you directly. Same goes for other coaching staff too. The point is to get them to A, recognize when they need to regroup, and B, find the most helpful way to refocus and get it done. It's best to do the challenge at the beginning of the season or when you feel confident your players can figure it out amongst themselves. After you've done it, we want to hear how you tackled this challenge and how your players responded. Give us a shout out on social media, shoot us a private message, or for our members, share it in the Dream Team Clubhouse. That's it for today. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next week for another episode.